This is episode 105 of The Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. In today's episode, Arna Bartz joins me to share her journey from a child of creative parents to an artist who teaches people to become more emotionally intelligent. Along the way, we discuss how she weaves in being a mother of eight children in her discovery and exploration of the art of kundalini. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, And the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's s-a-n-e-b-o-x dot com forward slash giant. Hello, Creative Giants. Delighted to introduce you to Arna Bartz. Arna is an artist, educator, and poet. She has been finger painting from the beginning when her father, also a creative, encouraged her by taping paper to the walls of their home and letting her loose with paint. As a result, she is an expressive artist with a belief in non-judgment, often purposely leaving her mistakes in an attempt to allow the unfolding to participate in a finished piece. Her practice ranges in extremes from the creation of small and playful to large and serious. Most of Arna's work is an extension of her philosophical nature, bringing her gifts of personal insight and joy. Arna works in her bush studio every day, surrounded by weird Australian wildlife, inspired by the connection between things and the glow of the rainforest. The perfume of the valley permeates Arna's work and keeps her alive, as does her lovely, supportive husband and eight wonderful children. Arna, thanks so much for producing your art and getting it out there in the world and for joining, um, joining me on today's episode. Oh, I thank you for having me. All righty. So you have a, a long history of being an artist and a poet. It, it seems to be in the family. And it seems like your father plays a really important role in your development as an artist. So oh, yeah. tell us how his influence shaped your way as an artist. Ah, straight to the core, the nitty gritty of it. <laughs> exactly. Well, dad. Dad has um, really played quite, it's an understatement to say that he's played a role in my um, artistic development and evolution. He's actually, I think he was in the beginning a, well, you know, his dad. Dads are always pretty intense, I think, in my experience anyway. <laughs> they throw so much at you as a child, you know, the, with all of their tradition and, you know, whoever they are. And I think we, we want to naturally emulate or um, please them. And, um, 
and so from the beginning there was that but there but because he was an artist and he was kind of emotionally distant because he was in his own little world and he'd come from being quite um I think a really a, a very traditional Catholic background very um conservative and so there wasn't <laughs> I I didn't get a, a lot of approval and um so, I don't know from dad so dad so I watched dad I was a really observant child and I was really a sensitive kid too and so I was watching him all the time and seeing what he was doing and what I could do that might make him give me attention <laughs> which may have been what started my entire artistic career I don't know it might be built on this desperate desire for attention um but dad was, dad's such a philosopher and an intellectual and all of those things too. And so when you do actually break through that shell and get him talking, he's, he's fascinating. He's intriguing. So, so yeah, he was quite inspiring visually as well as um, mentally and emotionally, all of that stuff. So yeah. And he continues to inspire me even now, you know, as I grow, as I push my art past where I think that he would approve or not approve. So it's been a, a huge spiritual journey for me to, um, when we talk about dad and my art. <laughs> Did you ever feel like maybe, or sometimes, let me put it this way, sometimes when our parents have the profession or the vocation that we, that we find ourselves in, we resist that sometimes. It's like, ah, mm. like it's just not, it's part of the family way and I want to do something different. So did your dad being an artist ever create a scenario where you're like, I don't know that I want to go that path? Yeah, I think unconsciously it really did because so dad being an artist and a, and a teacher of art and my mother being a writer, um, I think for the first Mum was easier too, easier for me to navigate emotionally. And and so for the first few years as I um, began to express myself creatively, it was more to do with writing down my feelings and reading a lot and, and um, kind of following a more a seeker's path, a spiritual sort of path of um, awakening. And I think for a number of years until I was about, I don't know, 22 or 20, about 22, I think, I just didn't really do art. If I did, it was quiet behind closed doors. I didn't try to, um, you know, show anybody or sell it or anything like that. Um, and I think that was a resistance because uh, I felt I couldn't do anything that he would uh, like. He's quite abstract and intense and <laughs> I wanted to draw pretty pictures and, and you know, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think we do. And my family is massive, like a really, um, I don't even know if I want to use the word bipolar in this context, but in a way they, they were on one hand really um, ex jovial, excited, creatives, and on the other really almost depressive or um, 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 intellectual, logical, and, and all, I don't know, conservative. So there were these two real sides to my family. So, you know, really I had to find my own way in the end and it led me just to what naturally felt better and that was um, the arts. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about it is, is, is growing up in a creative family means that you're growing up in the family that's emotionally rich. Let's put it that way, right? There's yeah, a lot that's of texture. A good one. <laughs> There's a texture that comes up and also expressive at the same time. So you get the full range, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Of different emotions that may come up. And yeah. um, sometimes it's conducive to creativity. Other times it's not when you're the child yeah. trying to live up and trying to wade your way through those maelstroms. Mm. That's true. That's really, really true. And I think, you know, for me, it was, it was such a challenge to be who I was with this sort of like a spongy emotional thing, just sucking in everybody's stuff that there, there was not almost no room or no channel for my creativity. It, even though in the very beginning, I was put into situations that were I look back on it and go, wow, that is rich with um, inspiration and, and juicy um, content. Like my father would do an artwork and roll me up in gauze. as I was a tiny little two-year-old naked baby and roll me up in this roll of white gauze and then time-lapse photography as I unravel <laughs> to emerge as this little, you know, creature from somewhere. So things like that. And there, there are plenty of stories like that. Um, I look back on that and I go, wow, I couldn't have asked for a more interesting childhood. But on, and it's, like I said, it's fuel for my, for my life. But being who I was, I'd say it would be like a, an empath or I don't know, people call the things different, different names. But for me, it was just being so sensitive to everything that I just had to manage to navigate my way through life without until I got to a stage in my life where I found ways to process it. Yeah. All righty. So you practice Kundalini and, you know, I did some research on Kundalini, but I figured I'll talk to you since you practitioner. So tell us a little bit, a little bit more about what the art of Kundalini is and how you found your way to it. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's an intense story, which can, you can read a little bit about on my website, but um, so Interesting too that you asked me that question today because someone asked me on um, saw the name of my website and asked me about it on the weekend, uh, yeah, a week or so ago on my birthday, and um, I was a bit stumped because I have my as to how to um, define it because I have my version which started many years ago. I think it's been I think I've been on a, an awakening process since I was probably consciously about 16 or 17 years old. And when I was having babies, I began having babies at about 17. And so there was this constant um, opening that was happening physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, and around about when I was about 28, 29, 30, I started to have um, spontaneous experiences of, it was quite frightening at the time, that was just so unexpected energy rushing through my body. And I, I look back on it now and I realised that I'd intended prior to that happening that I just was, I wanted to be free and I wanted to know who I was and the intentions were strong and now I teach, you know, about that stuff and I'll say, you know, look at your intentions and be clear um, and and learn to relax and surrender to it because I was getting this stuff and I was having visions and, and hearing things and um, and there were a lot of things going on in my life that couldn't be explained, which was really exciting, magical and, and all of those things. But I'm um, also quite life-changing and terrifying. <laughs> and it all, and, and 
I learned to manage the fear through surrendering to it. And so so that began, uh, my life changed completely. My relationship, my marriage um, sort of dissolved and new things began to appear and all of those classic sort of awakening things were occurring. And, um, and then I began creating in earnest. I think I had to. I think after that, the art and the writing and the poetry and, oh, you know, um, I'd done... I had a lot of children, so I sort of satisfied that. And they were teaching me and I and I also began writing emotional intelligence um, information. It was like a whole lot of knowledge was being like just becoming in me and so I was getting it all out and, and discovering more about me on the way. And then recently I found myself picking up a um, becoming, oh, it's hard to explain, um, really inspired to ask again for more of the energy. So, um, and that's been happening. So it's really strange, even talking to you today and having that question and, and going, okay, how do I define this? This is the becoming of who I really am, but it's also, um, and we're all doing it in little ways in our life. And we're all getting, I think a lot of our lives are about, about gaining the confidence, the strength and the courage to say yes, yes, yes to, to ourselves and in effect we, we get to the stage where we can take it, we can actually meet our, our self as almost a separate entity or another relationship, um, this beautiful feminine um, energy. And I, I think in relation to my art, um, it enabled me to have the courage to create regardless of what my father thought or what anyone thought and then um, and to get so so I really call Kundalini the reason I call a lot of my art Kundalini especially that initial decorative flush of art that came out of me in the first 10 years um, color a lot of color and a lot of a lot of um, energy and swirling and things like that because it's full of the intention of life so that's why the name, the art of Kundalini. But then I have an eclectic artistic process um, and practice which covers all ranges and genres of art and it could be called many, many things. But that's where the Kundalini come into it. <laughs> so the Kundalini is, if I understand correctly, it's a, um, let's say, artistic inspiration that's coming from a mystical or spiritual source. Is that correct? Um. Yes, yes. I'm still learning to understand who she is or it is um, or what it is because uh, my, my understanding in all of the work, self-personal development work that I've done has been in under the philosophy of all being one and on a phys very physical point of view and scientific point of view, that's very true, you know, that molecular atomic sort of level, we are one energy. Um, but now I'm looking at it as, yes, as the, the definition being of allowing yourself to meet with an entity which is the source of all that is. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think that's the thing. I think we don't know and we put a lot of, because things are ancient traditions or they have been steeped in tradition or, um, uh, or someone said it a long, long time ago, we take that for what it is. But what I, what I prefer to do is say, I don't know and I'm willing to meet this. I believe it's benevolent. I believe it is who I am. I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. I think it's just a becoming, you know, of 
a more. It's a becoming of more. It's like the evolution of the universe, but in this little microcosm. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's a massive energy and it can be frightening for people to meet it. But, um, but usually, almost, always we've asked on some level for it. That's how I view it at this point. It reminds me of, um, I think it's actually the first line of the Tao Te Ching that goes, the, um, the Tao that cannot be spoken, or the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. Um, but we uh, see this, okay. we see this in so many spiritual traditions that um, just talking about it, um, that, that language does not adequately capture the meaning or capture the experience. And so That's right. it can be very frustrating sometimes when someone's like, will you define that for me? You're like, the, <laughs> like language is not the right the right art from the right the right modality of expression but maybe yeah. art is closer right maybe 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 because it's wordless and um because it evokes hopefully a response physical emotional spiritual response from the viewer art will allow you to um because everything's interpretive you know no matter what the kundalini um expresses to me or within me I will still interpret that energy through my filters and my perspective and and it's the same with everything with art and with words but maybe um we've got so much investment in the words of our language that um we can get pulled into the collective um a bit quickly whereas art offers that opportunity I think for us to feel and that's all of my work with the I am program the emotional intelligence stuff I do with kids and and the stuff that um I do my art and my poetry is to feel the feeling like I I know I finished a poem when it just gives me that 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 little opening or that sense of of something beautiful and nameless but certain and um and I love that so yeah I think you're right I think uh art and 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 weirdness weirdness really evokes that <laughs> things that we don't understand can evoke that um that unnameable thing that unnameable thing indeed so um along that so you're i was reading over sort of your perspective of the mistakes that pop up in your art and and many artists want to cover up their mistakes and yet you honor the mistakes that happen in your art. So tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, that's a process. I tell you to, to come to terms with the, with the mistake or the thing that doesn't quite work because it's sort of like to, um, you, do you know A Course in Miracles? Um, there's, yeah, well, there's a lesson in that. I, oh, I, I'm paraphrasing. Sorry, A Course in Miracles. <laughs> it's something like um, I don't know my own best interests and I, I kind of think that or employ that sometimes when I'm making art because I've spent so many years trying to fix mistakes and trying to, to mould myself to meet some expectation that I think about that other people have of me whether it be artistically or just personally you know still doing it still always checking in and and deciding to be present regardless so that's what I do with my art so I'm creating an art um, artwork and I make a mark or a line and so it doesn't quite fit with what else I've done I don't know where I'm going I don't know what it's telling me so instead of instead of dismissing it and um, I allow it to speak or to take me into a new direction and 
um, I think with my art, I'll often I'll be asked. I find myself asking questions, and then the art process answers it, whether it be tangible or just um, just a feeling or something. So yeah, and I don't. I there are certain artworks that I do where I leave the sketch that I've done initially and I leave the bits that don't seem to quite work and I keep working on it until the entirety of it balances out. And so that way there's still that um, sense of the process that you see and the, and the mistakes, if you even want to call that mistakes, that we've made along the way and they all become valid then. And I think that's a really important metaphor for people and something that I, I, I often find myself repeating to my art students and to others in my life that um to myself over and over again (laughs) that it's they're beautiful things it's all very beautiful every breath is is really quite remarkable and you know if we can realize that we are that breath and that we are as intriguing as the the great waterfalls that we all marvel over if we're that unique then I tell you it we've got it, you know, we've got a purpose where we're here to be love and be joy and enjoy each other and ourselves. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, in the Diné tradition for the native American traditions, there's a, um, practice of leaving imperfection in the art, um, because it's a entrance for spirit to come in. Oh yeah. As opposed to, you know, whenever we think of something that's super perfect, we block out, divine we block out the divine we block out the spirit's mm. way of um em- embracing that work and making it part of their own so I, w- I was wondering if you had a similar approach or you know really what that was and i think it's similar but i also think it's different in a way as well yeah, similarities there to me very much so because um yeah if there's a if there's something that we can deem perfect we don't question it and question is what allows the spirit to answer and um, if we think we know, we won't heal. Like if we've got something, a, a friend of mine had something really wrong with her and she said um, it was she couldn't eat properly, couldn't eat food. Foods were just, she was rejecting them. And, but any time anyone asked her, had you tried this? She, no, I know that. No, I don't, I don't, I understand that. No. And so she knew everything. And um, in all honour and respect to her, she's on her process. But I watched her process and I thought it's that I know it already that's it's just not opening the channel for, so to, to actually go, you know, I don't know. <laughs> this is really nothing's working for me and I just don't know. What is the answer? And to ask um, and then when she finally did do that, it's a happy ending. She was able to begin trying new things and things changed for her, but it is the same. It's the same with art. It's the same, same in martial arts. I do Hapkido and have done for 10 years. She's a Korean martial art and, um, you have to do it a thousand times but, and you have to embrace that mistake and you have to really feel where you're going wrong, you know, and, and not see it that way be so excited to get to training and make those mistakes so that you can you can become the technique I think it's everywhere I think that when we start looking that's what we find yeah it reminds me of um sometimes when I'm playing the guitar and I'm you know doing the singing thing and there is a point where you make a mistake and you don't really think about it and you just move on, right? You're just like, oh, I hit the wrong chord. And you just, you know it, but you just roll into the next thing. And yeah. this, this time when you're doing it and you make that mistake and you stop, and you're like, ah, I messed it up. And then you're like, you're out of the flow and you got to do it all over again. I think there's, yeah. 
the creative process or the creative practices to see that mistake and not attach a story to it. Oh yes, stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. We we tend to like to that's the same thing as thinking we know, you know, is to attach a story or a form to it. And it's not, I think when we have that mistake, when um, doing something creative like that and we, and we can continue flowing, then that's okay. We've incorporated that, uh, that movement and that flow. And it's wonderful. It shows um, an evolutionary step has been made. And when we don't continue and we get that, that thing that's the time to stop and feel it and to go wow I'm responding really strongly to this is there something I need here to to breathe through to relax my body and you know and be enlightened be allowing ourselves to be enlightened by our own creative process and then you know in evolving in that way cool so you use art and poetry to help people become emotionally intelligent. And before we jump into how you do that, what is emotion, excuse me, what is emotional intelligence to you? Yes, to me, emotion, there's a lot of definitions. People can look that up. There's some fantastic books out there, Dan Goldman and um, oh, names that see, I forget. But, you know, they're all there. You can find them. So there's great stuff. Um, Emotional intelligence to me is a very physical, bodily in awareness. So um, it's it's about raising your your energy, um, your vibration to a degree that you can you have clarity, so that you um, and that comes with presence and and little tasks and things. You know, I try to find lots of ways to do it. Um, to be able to re- respond, that's the way to put it, rather than just react from some kind of old program. Um, reactions are fine and all of that sort of stuff, but it's when the, they are continuously um, occurring from a place that you're not aware of. So emotional intelligence is really probably better termed for me emotional awareness, body awareness, and the awareness of how the emotions create neural pathways in the brain and then how we then live life from that perspective of our own creative um, impulses and focus. So that probably kind of explains it. Well, I'm going to ask the dumb question of why we would want to become more emotionally intelligent. Well, when you are a little, I don't think that's a dumb question. I think that's a really good question. And if you're like me and you've been trying to get mainstream education to take notice of what I'm doing, you'll find that that's a question that they don't even ask. And it's a very important question. Um, Why would one want to become more emotionally intelligent? Well, so you're walking down the street and someone jumps out at you and you react and there becomes this horrible, violent moment. Um, or you're walking down the street, someone jumps out at you and you're able to take a breath and step back and assess the situation and say the right thing. That's why, because when you're, um, when you're, when you're reactionary, it's not even us. It's not, it's just a, it's kind of what we've been conditioned to, how we've been conditioned to behave. It may not even be leading us down a path that we, we 
we would prefer to be taking. It's just repeating often um, without emotional intelligence. We're just repeating and we're not even repeating our own stuff. We're potentially just repeating our parents and our teachers' values and all of that sort of stuff. So in developing emotional awareness, you we have this fantastic detector in our body and we can we can see and feel you probably even feel that person and not walk down the street you know that way it's that's how honed and fantastic this inner guidance system is and so when we get in touch with that on a physical level um we know we know we could have faith in ourselves to walk down a path that is what we've intended it to be for that day, whether it be joyful or surprising in a happy way. And and to continue to further develop the emotional intelligence would mean that you become quite clear about how your brain is um, responding to your thoughts and to your the feelings that the thoughts are generating so that you can get in and, and, and catch thoughts and change them and um, you can begin to map a path, deliberately create your path and on a, on a very scientific level as well as emotional and spiritual. So it's quite... Um, there are a number of really good reasons why you might want to develop your emotional intelligence on a conscious, in a conscious way. I noticed that as you're explaining some things, um, you're pulling in on a scientific level or you're appealing to science in a certain way. Um, and I'm curious about that. Um, where is that coming from? Uh, it probably stems from a necessity in the beginning to clarify or justify um, the the knowing that I had and that I wanted to impart to others. And so um, when I was initially writing um, Arts Connected EI uh, resources and um, presenting them to schools and things, I had to have scientific or educational outcomes and um, like um, references and things because I'm not actually um i haven't been to university and studied neuroscience or haven't been there and done education that most people ask me so where did you learn this stuff and i have to say if i was going to be honest well you know i just had these really freaky experiences and then all this stuff just came pouring into me and now i have this you know but when i so i needed to research it and i need to get some foundation for it but also you know my life gives us such a plethora of um, information just in in the living of it when we become conscious, more conscious, more present, which is just an intention to be more present um, and more relaxed. And if I look back at my life and all of those children that I had (laughs) and my own childhood, oh, there was so much, so much questioning and now so many answers have been gifted from a fantastic array of intelligent people across the world you know and the fact that we have social media and we have google and you can you know you can really hook into some excellent information i just that's the reason the reason is because i want to appeal to everybody i want everybody to see that you know the reason that they're fantastic and worth adoring isn't because they're like a little piece of conscious intelligence isn't just because of some you know fan fantastical idea it's because we're actually scientifically just crazy amazing that's why I, I refer to science because science is science is spirit it's all fantastic 
All righty. So you've mentioned um, your kids in the past, and so you have eight of them. And I'm yes, really, cu- I'm really curious. <laughs> how do you maintain your creative spirit while also running a business and raising eight, not two, not three, not four, <laughs> but eight children? Yeah, eight, eight amazing, unique creatures. Um, I don't know. I think in the beginning it was. I think you get really good at time management when you have more than a couple. I think for the first one or two, you're, it's like, oh, a big juggle as you get to know it and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Then you hit three and it's like, oh, this is even. Start to get to four, five and six and the life just takes over you and takes over for you. But, but I don't know. I, I was weird. I was a strange kid. I fell pregnant at 16 and got excited about it and, you know, got in trouble with everybody and did the whole drama, but I was excited. And when I found out they were twins, I was even more excited, you know, that that is kooky stuff. And I look back on it now and I just think, wow, it was always on my path. It must've been, it was natural. And so then I had these little people and I, and more and more little people, and I can see now that they're, they're a massive part of my spiritual, emotional growth because I, I can look at them, at the older ones now, and I can see myself as a 17, 18, 19-year-old, can see the next lot and see how I've changed and evolved and how that's affected them and, you know, and, um, and a, a lot about attachment and detachment and um, learning to love yourself through other people and, and letting go of your expectations of others. And so I think because I was able to incorporate them into my own life and my own seeking and spiritual growth, <laughs> then they weren't a burden. <laughs> they were amazing and um, I'm, I was very appreciative and, and very grateful to have them. And how I make it work, I don't know. I don't know. I just have, I have fairly good relationships with my children um, in that I see them as um, as very as having their own agenda, and even from the very beginning that they needed to follow their path, and um, so there's a lot of freedom in my love for them. And um, yeah, I just I always and art is something that you can do with them with kids. So I was just I just do whatever I wanted to do, and they sort of came along for the ride. It's probably pretty selfish, <laughs> yeah. But I know that's how I do it and maintaining my business. Well, they're all um, at school now, all grown up. So I have time, little little um, pockets of time each day where I can lie around in the sun and be inspired to create. I have a, I've made for myself a very good life at this point, I have to say. So the trick is to have enough children to found your own sports team and then you figure it all out, right? Because you can have your own soccer team. You're almost to an American football team. Like you three more of them and, and you got a whole team. Yeah, no more. I think eights. I think more than eights. Just no, that's just too many. <laughs> so eights the cutoff. <laughs> okay. Eight's I'm, I'm the not, cut off, yeah. I'll take your word for that because, um, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no. Kids, kids I, I think you, uh, for me, I've learned to incorporate whatever happens in my life in such a way that I can, I can feed on it and, and use it and create something from it. That's just, has always been my path and it's going to be different for everybody. And some people will just, will just crumble under one child. And I understand that and understand that feeling. And some people can't, don't stop after eight and they continue and they, you know, super power through their lives. So, you know, it's very individual. Yeah. Our, 
It'll See, work. I crumble at the thought of one. Not, not yeah. having one, the thought of one. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> See, some people crumble at the thought of one. I just listen to that. <laughs> Follow what feels good. <laughs> All right. So if you can go back to one moment in your creative career and do something different, oh. what would that moment be and what would you do differently? Oh, no. You're going to have me answering in a cliche kind of way. It's like I wouldn't change anything. Um in my artistic career. Well, I feel like I'm such a baby in my career as it is anyway. I'm just at the very beginning because I've spent so much time looking after babies and just and creating. Sometimes it's hard to remember that I'm actually midway professional artist and, and, and not just sort of doing my own thing, working out myself as I paint little pictures. Um, but if there was something I could change, I could do differently. Wow, that's a question you should have sent me beforehand. No, I just can't think of anything that I might. Um, dude, I would have won that art prize last year. I got selected for a, for a very big portraiture prize but didn't win it. So that's what I would have done differently. I would have organised that prior and won that one. <laughs> no, but even then I wouldn't. No, sorry for interrupting, but I wouldn't because I, now I'm just remembering I had a massive epiphany after that when I didn't win that, which zoomed me into another s- fantastic evolved thought. So I'm sorry. I wouldn't have changed. Not a thing. All righty. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work, and I'm hoping that it's not going to be that you have eight kids, right? Um, <laughs> no, they from, will. That's all they'll remember. That's all they remember. Eight <laughs> kids, Kundalini, done, right? But if people remember nothing else about you and your body no. of work, what would it be? What do you want um, it to be? Excuse me. Okay. If I wanted people to go away with something about, with it, well, if I wanted people to go away with a message, it would be that to, um, and I hope that my art would give this, would transmit this message, is that every mark that you make is valid, is your, is your mark. And, and even if it's a mark that you crumple up and throw into the bin, it was made in that moment, brand new, perfect moment that came from you. I, I want people to, to go away from here remembering that um, remembering that there is someone in the world, if they want to think about me, there is someone in the world that is committed to creating their path from a deliberate point of view, from there, from the understanding that every thought creates emotion and that emotion creates neural pathways and that you have the power to, to zoom in and relax your body and allow yourself to create and you don't have to answer to anybody else and you can make whatever life that you want that's it. All righty, Arna. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. Oh, you are very welcome. It was a great pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Okay, Creator Giants. So you heard it from Arna. Your art, the, what, the things that you do in the world, leave a mark. How are you going to set your path, walk it intentionally, and embrace whatever comes up, good or bad? And until next time, stand tall. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll also enjoy episode 15 with Lucy Pierce and episode 36 with Allie Luke. If you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.